You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. It's Friday, February 17th, 2023. I'm your host, Benita Lee. Coming up on today's show, we hear from members of the Nashville African American Wind Symphony who are performing in Boulder this weekend. After that, it's Sports Talk with Jimmy Searfoss and .org, our weekly look at local nonprofits. At 8.30, connections will come your way. As always, the phone lines will be open and your calls welcome. Today on Connections, host Rosanna Longo-Better will discuss the need for underrepresented communities to be at the table when talking about what will happen to the Colorado River. At 9.30, Meredith Carson is in the Boulder studio bringing you the morning sound alternative, two and a half hours of eclectic music until noon. That's all still ahead this morning, but first, the headlines with KGNU's Stacey Johnson. Colorado's five Democratic U.S. representatives issued a joint statement Thursday condemning a new policy by Durango's Mercy Hospital in not providing tubal ligations, a form of permanent birth control, after a mother has given birth by cesarean section. The Catholic-based hospital already had a policy prohibiting tubal litigations after vaginal births. The five lawmakers, U.S. Representatives Diana DeGette, Udira Caraveo, Jason Crow, Joe Neguse, Brittany Peterson, are also members of the Congressional Pro-Choice Caucus co-chaired by DeGette. According to the Durango Herald, Mercy is the only hospital within 45 miles of Durango that offers labor and delivery services. The lawmakers said in their statement patients living in more rural areas of the state are no exception to the right of reproductive care and that as the only hospital in Durango providing maternity services, the hospital's decision will undermine patient access to care. A Durango gynecologist told the Durango Herald last September that the hospital would start banning post-C-section tubal litigations beginning in the spring because the procedure does not align with Catholic values. Centura Health, the parent company to Mercy Hospital, did not immediately respond to requests for comment by news outlets. A Colorado Parks and Wildlife necropsy report says a mountain lion that attacked two Netherland-area dogs in late December did not have canine remains in its stomach when it died. A Rollinsville man killed the mountain lion on December 27th with his rifle after the animal began attacking his dog. Prior to the mountain lion being shot, a nearby neighbor also reported that the lion attacked his 80-pound husky. The report suggests the mountain lion attack on the dogs was not because of starvation, but rather opportunistic predatory behavior as a lion was in excellent body condition with fat throughout the carcass. As killings of dogs by mountain lions escalated in the forested regions of Boulder and Gilpin counties last November and December, residents sought explanations for the increase in incidents such as sickness and starvation. Colorado Parks and Wildlife Northeast Deputy Regional Manager Kristen Cannon told the Colorado Sun wildlife officials are uncertain if the mountain lion examined by the Necropsy report is the same lion that has killed other dogs during November and December. Security officials at Denver's East High School removed a student with a gun Wednesday within days of another student being shot near the school. School officials say they received reports of a student with a weapon on school property, and after identifying and removing the student, they contacted the student's caregivers with no safety risk to other students and faculty. On Monday, 16-year-old East High School student Luis Garcia received gunshot wounds while sitting in his car near the school. Garcia 
Garcia remains in the hospital in critical condition. In response to the shooting, school administrators closed the school on Tuesday and reconvened classes Wednesday under heightened security. Woodland Park School District has adopted American Birthright Social Studies Standard despite Colorado's new inclusive social studies standards. Wudnita Hotado has more. With the introduction of Colorado's new inclusive social studies standards, schools through the state have until fall 2024 to either adopt the new curriculum or create their own. Woodland Park School District plans to do this while adopting the American birthright standard outlined by the conservative coalition Civics Alliance. According to Colorado Newsline, the Colorado Constitution prohibits the State Board of Education from prescribing curriculums, but local districts can add additional content to their curriculums as long as they include the content and grade-level objectives outlined in the state standards. However, the Board of Education already rejected the American birthright standard on the state level last year. According to Colorado Newsline, the district's social studies teachers were not at all included in the school board's decision-making process around the standards. It is still unclear how the district plans to include both standards into the school curriculum, but they have assured the Colorado Department of Education their curriculum will meet or exceed state standards. For KGNU, I'm Juanito Hurtado. Colorado lawmakers gave the go-ahead Thursday to a study that will examine if biochar can successfully plug and sequester carbon in abandoned oil and gas wells. Proponents suggest biochar, a charcoal substance made by burning organic matter at high temperatures and low oxygen levels, could sequester carbon, fill defunct wells, filter dangerous gas leaks, and stop carbon from forming carbon dioxide, a greenhouse gas. Among questions of feasibility, the approved legislation directs Colorado State University researchers to run tests to determine if biochar can work for the state's defunct wells. Representative Karen McCormick, a Longmont Democrat, is one of the bill's sponsors. For today's weather, the National Weather Service says skies will be sunny with a high of 55 degrees for Denver, 53 degrees for Boulder, and 51 degrees for Fort Collins. Winds will be light and variable throughout the day, ranging from 5 to 8 miles per hour. Tonight, it will be mostly cloudy with a low of 23 degrees for Fort Collins, 28 degrees for Boulder, and 27 degrees for Denver. For KGNU, I'm Stacy Johnson. You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Vanita Lee. The two-time Grammy-nominated Nashville African-American Wind Symphony will be in Boulder this Sunday. They'll play a free concert at CU Boulder's Mackey Auditorium. KGNU's Michelle Simpson spoke with Bruce Ayers, who created and conducts the symphony, and two of its members, Marissa King and Stephanie Richards. You know, Bruce, my first question for you, what inspired you? What inspired you to establish a symphony, an all-Black wind band ensemble? What, what is the root of that? Where did that come from? How much time do we have? First? <laughs> 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 um, yeah, so 
I think I need to start a little bit, uh, go back a little bit. Okay. So, band has always been a part of my life. It's always been the most meaningful thing to me. Other than, you know, family and my spirituality. Um, I can remember being that that little boy, five years old, six years old, and, you know, probably a pencil in my hand and listening to music. My mom would turn on the classical radio station and I'm just conducting and just in my own zone, eyes closed and I have a tuxedo on and there are hundreds of people playing this beautiful music in front of me and under under my baton. And so that I had those experiences. That was me, my imagination at five years old. <laughs> so fast forward a little bit, I, you know, I did band all the way through college actually. Um, and so when I became better, I started getting accepted to these honor bands and ensembles in all states and regions and districts and then, you know, offered scholarships for college. And so in that experience, I was always one of the only black kids. I didn't put a name to it then. It wasn't a thing to me. It just, it was, I was doing what I loved. But, you know, looking back, it was, where were all of my, the people of color, where are all my brothers and sisters? Yeah. No, uh, and it's not that we didn't play instruments. It's just that we didn't seek those opportunities. Um, I think there was maybe a lack of exposure. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was a really eye-opening experience for me. Um, I say that when you hear the Nashville African-American Wind Symphony, it's an experience that you didn't know that you needed. Um, the music is emotional because our love for music really does come out through the horn. You know, a lot of people do come up to us at the end of the pro- programs in tears. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's we're going to play music highlighting the works of African-American composers. And so there's there's some pieces that are going to be really heavy pieces that are necessary for the climate that our um, current country is in. And so um, that's going to, that's what I can say for you now. Now you raise a good point. I, you know, and that's something that occurred to me. Um, The question I have for all of you is what your understanding was of classical or classical music and what it is now. Because when we think of the word, when we think of the term classical, um, typically I think of anyway, music that was written in a Western musical tradition and feels as if the ownership belongs somewhere other than us. And when I say us, I'm talking about Black folks. So what's your relationship to classical music? And was your introduction to classical music when you joined the symphony? Or had you had some exposure before that? Anybody can can take that question. Stephanie, why don't we start with you? Yeah, I think when we think of classical music, it does seem a bit restrictive because we are focused on the prominent white composers. and. That is the beauty of the things that we have done with Nas. We celebrate people, but we know that Black music is a lot more rich and a lot more genre crossing than that. When you sit in the audience, it's a visceral reaction. People are very emotional. When they start playing the Black National Anthem, everyone stands up. And it's like everyone's on the same page. And it's a beautiful feeling because it's that sense of pride. And it's like, yes, this is truly for us. 
we really haven't experienced this lane of music. Like when you think of a wind symphony, uh, people think of an orchestra, um, which is understood because people, they, they conflate the two. However, it's just a pure appreciation for the art form and it's just emotional and people are proud and you get a lot of mmm and yes and it's just really, really good music and it, it's very, it, it feels so good to see people receive it that way and and I, I love the, the responses that we get from our audiences. Make want to see more of us and they want to know when's the next event so they can show up. I mean, it's a very wonderful experience to see people really receiving this well. Yeah. Marissa, yeah. do you have anything you'd like to add to that? Yes, actually, I will say that on a, on a more social level, I love the educational aspect that it's bringing to um, the Black community. But one other thing I love and I've been noticing these last couple events is that it's the mere fact that I guess these spaces were not or have not been originally for us to attend. And so when you think of symphonies, when you think of orchestras for Nashville residents, you think of going down to TPAC, the Tennessee Performing Arts Center, and dressing up nice and getting to have one night where you and your lady friend can go out and, you know, dress up and have a great night on the town. And we as a Black community never have really had those spaces. One thing I will say is that we know how to dress and we know how to show up. And anywhere that you allow us to come and wear our Sunday go best, not on a Sunday, we're going to do it. And they come and they bring the family. And it's you could tell that it's something that holds somewhat of a prestige moment for them that they can say they attended a Black symphony. They got to dress up in their Black ball gowns and attend a Black symphony. Beautifully put. Um, Marissa. Yeah. The things that keeps me coming back is the mindset that there's always room for growth and there's always room for us. And so in places about history, in places that we never thought you would see a Black person, this makes us um, really feel accepted. That's all I can kind of say about it. Like that feeling that you get, that we get um, at the end of almost every show, seeing that place just continue to be more people, more people, folks on the walls, folks. On, I mean, like it really, everybody's face gets shocked every single time. And I love looking at the surprise on our face every single time because it's just like, yeah, we're doing this. Like we're in here. This is space. This is our space. And that growth we are showing the community is just really powerful. Every, every minority community can feel this. This is like, this is definitely possible throughout everything. So that's just the thing that keeps everyone mentally kind of focused on it. And I can honestly say that all of us really came in with the same goal, and that's to spread this and spread just us being able to be in this space. And so as long as that's the forefront, I think that we'll be unstoppable.
was KGNU's Michelle Simpson talking with members of the Nashville African American Wind Symphony, Marissa King, Stephanie Richardson, and the symphony creator and conductor Bruce Ayers. NOS will perform at Mackey Auditorium this Sunday. For more information about that free concert, visit KGNU.org. You're listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Benita Lee. Up next is Sports Talk. Right now there's a major natural disaster in Ohio, a war in Ukraine, and an earthquake that's killed thousands in Turkey. But at least Rihanna's pregnant and the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, so I guess there's that. Hello and welcome to the best sports show on KGNU Sports Talk with Jimmy. I, of course, am your host, Jimmy Sierfoss, coming at you with the best sports stories and news from across the front range. And today, I got a story for you that sounds like it could have been a movie. Meet Minzang Wallers, also known as his friends as MZ. He is a basketball player at Golden View Classical Academy and a finalist for the Jersey Mike's Naismith Courage Award. Now, this award is given out to players who have gone above and beyond for their basketball team and have demonstrated great courage in their team, school, and community. You see, Golden Colorado is not where Whalers started, but it's where he is now. His story begins at the steps of a police station in China, abandoned by his parents. On top of that, he was born with a cleft palate. Now, this forced him to have emergency surgery shortly after he was picked up at the station. A cleft palate is a hole in the roof of your mouth that runs along until there's an opening in the person's upper lip. Now, the surgery he underwent was when he was a baby, and it was to close the hole in his mouth and his lip. The surgery called Whalers to have struggled hearing and speaking early on in his life, and on top of that, he had to deal with moving from orphanage to orphanage growing up. It really wasn't until the age of nine that he was able to find any stability in his life when he immigrated to America and moved in with a family named the Whalers. Now, the Whalers are a big-time basketball family, and that's where he found his love for the game. He worked and earned his way onto his high school's varsity team, and he is now a senior in high school and the captain of it. And by the way, that team is 13-5 and right now, and he's the second on the team in points per game and rebounds, and first on the team in assists per game. He also competes in track and field, On the track and field team, he has competed in the 200-meter dash, the 100-meter dash, the long jump, and the discus throw. But the obstacles in his life did not stop once he reached high school. Throughout his athletic career, he's had to deal with a multitude of injuries. He's had a dislocated kneecap. He's had a patellar tendon that required surgery to repair. In his life, Whalers has had to undergo five surgeries. And he's still competing as a multi-sport athlete and a major contributor to his team. And that is all I have for you here on this early Friday morning. Don't you just love feel-good stories like that? To keep hearing stories like that and more updates on sports news across the front range, make sure you tune in every Friday morning to Sports Talk with Jimmy, hosted by me here on KGNU. Time now for .org, spotlighting the work of local nonprofits and co-ops. Stacy Johnson with KGNU.org. Joining me today is Stacy Puka, Director of Breakthrough Alliance of Colorado, also known as Breakthrough. For my first question to you today, Stacy, what is Breakthrough Alliance about and, and what is the organization's mission? Yeah, Breakthrough is a local Colorado-based 501c3 nonprofit. And our mission is to radically transform the lives of people with criminal histories by giving them opportunities while they're currently incarcerated 
and then continuing to support them upon their return home. Our primary focus is on career development and advancement um, so that they can utilize that career stability to maintain a free and legal lifestyle. What are some of the obstacles you're facing to fulfill your mission? So I think it's twofold. One, there are some inherent barriers that people with criminal histories face. Number one is stigma from the public. Um, You hear that someone has a criminal history and it brings up all kinds of stereotypes. And those stereotypes then impact and influence people's ability to, to show up authentically in the world. They're not able to get jobs. They're not able to get housing. Um, And so our response to that is really helping to educate the public on the fact that people with criminal histories are just like me and you. Um, If if we had made some different decisions, if our life circumstances had been different, if we'd been placed in different situations, if we had got caught that one time made that really bad choice, um, we could be in the exact same position as them. So really humanizing this population and just saying, hey, we're not all so different and we all deserve a chance to be recognized for who we are now and where we're going um, is one of the one of the ways that we kind of address that barrier. I think the second is as an organization, um, we're very small. We just have seven staff. Um, we operate inside four correctional facilities And uh, there's definitely a barrier to letting people know what we are and do and that we need volunteers and donors and support in order to continue this mission. What are ways listeners can get involved with the work of Breakthrough? We need volunteers. We love volunteers. Volunteers are one of the major ways that we're able to do the work that we do. Um, Yesterday, I was inside a correctional facility with 30 volunteers. So we need folks that are forward thinking, that are willing to recognize people for who they are now and accept their humanity um, and who have worked in their career, right? Who have held a job and um, have been successful at that. And they're able to give people feedback on their resumes, on their interviewing skills. They're able to connect with them empathetically and they're able to support them. So we have volunteer opportunities available on our website um, and people can sign up and volunteer. And do keep in mind it is inside correctional facilities. So there's a bit of paperwork that needs to be filled out in order to be accepted to come volunteer inside a facility. Um, But it's one of the most meaningful days that you could ever imagine. Uh, And the participants just have so much gratitude for community members coming in to show their support to them. Is there anything you would like to touch upon that hasn't already been covered? I would love to encourage people to follow us on social media. I think that part of the, the this work that we're talking about of breaking stigma requires individuals to hear stories from our graduates and from our program participants, and we're able to share those stories on social media. So if volunteering doesn't feel like a good fit right now, at least pick up your phone and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, um, or LinkedIn, and, and just learn more about our participants. Stacey Puka, thanks so much for your time today and sharing information about Breakthrough Alliance. Signing off, this is Stacey Johnson, KGNU.org. 
You've been listening to KGNews.org. For more information on this organization or to listen to other episodes, please go to news.kgnu.org. all the time we have today for the morning magazine i've been your show host benita lee thanks to alexis kenyon michelle simpson stacy johnson jimmy searfoss juanita hurtado and chris schultz with for their help with today's program up next it's connections that's after these headlines from the bbc